0: Hey, I'm Erin Bridgman, a money mindset and management coach for The Creative Entrepreneur. I'm the girl behind the Wealthy Woman movement that's reaching thousands and expanding each and every month, and I'm so glad you've decided to join this community too. Welcome to The Wealthy Woman podcast for creative female entrepreneurs looking to get strategic with their money. I believe that wealthy women will change the world, and in this podcast, we include money-related mindset and management tips and practical business advice you can apply right away. No fluff here, it's time to take action. Let me shoot it to you straight. Talking about money is like talking about sex. It's vulnerable and uncomfortable, but so necessary. And that's why I've created a judgment-free zone where women like you can trade the shame and money skeletons in your closet with empowerment and confidence that helps you master your money. I'm both the creative and the nerd, the no bullshit friend and your hype girl. And I'm excited to be your guide on your money journey. All your dreams are tied to money, so it's time to get that money working for you so you can make your dreams a reality together. Your business should be the catalyst to living your dream life, so don't let your money be the obstacle. Grab your notebook and your favorite drink and let's dive in. Hello. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Woman Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Elizabeth on the show. She is a wife, a toddler mama, a web designer, and she lives in Nashville, Tennessee. She designs popular show at templates for creative business owners, and she teaches other designers how to build profitable businesses through her course, Booked Out Designer. She's also the host of the Breakthrough Brand Podcast, where she shares the raw and real side of building a successful online business. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the show.
1: Thank you, Erin. I'm so glad to chat with you and glad that we just connected and got to be together in real life. Like what was that? Three months ago now? Two months ago-ish, something like that? Two months. Yeah. Two months, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm excited to be here and chat with you.
0: Okay. And Elizabeth has like got the most precious Southern draw and the biggest hurt ever. And she's incredibly talented. So I met Elizabeth at the Creative Educators Conference and she was the opening keynote speaker. So she's like the bee's knees. Isn't, I feel like I'm 70 years old saying that, but like she was named the show tier of the year in 2019 and one of the top designers of show in 2020. So this woman knows her stuff and I'm really excited for us to get into how to create a profitable website. But before we do all of that, Will you just share a little bit more about you, who you are in business, out of business beyond what a bio could do for you?
1: Yeah. I feel like you hit a lot of it just now. I would say to add to all that, I live in Nashville, Tennessee area. I've been in business seven years, officially today, day we're recording this is my seven year business <laughs> anniversary. Yeah. Which I'm like, Yay! what better way? <laughs> yeah. It feels like fun to celebrate doing a podcast interview. So it's like, that's so fun. Um, but yeah, I'm really grateful to do what I do. Um, other things I do that weren't mentioned just now, like I also do real estate investing, not at all on Aaron's level, but like still some, we have five properties across middle Tennessee and Alabama and we got started in real estate investing. My husband and I kind of at the end of 2020. So not that long, but we've kind of hit the ground running and did a few property deals really quickly. So that's something else fun. I spend most of my time designing website templates for the show up platform. And I sell those at my shop, my website. And then I do lots of podcasting over on the Breakthrough Brand podcast where it's primarily solo episodes, some interviews. Aaron is coming on my show as well. So you guys can head over there to hear us talk as well. Yeah, so a lot of just like tactical Behind the scenes of what building a business looks like over there.
0: Mm, I love it so much. And something that you talked about at the conference was about creating passive revenue. And that's something that you've really mastered. Can you like brag on yourself a little bit around what you've been able to do through your business and creating passive
1: revenue? Yes, it's so crazy. I think about my business journey, so to speak, just to give people like a timeline of it. So seven years ago when I started. I was doing services, so I was not doing anything passive or scalable really even, which I think is a great place to start. I don't recommend people starting immediately, like going straight into selling like templates because you probably don't even know what people want. You might not have built up an audience to sell to, things of that nature, but I started doing... A lot of various things from like social media management for people. I did logos, I did branding, I did websites, I did brochures, I did billboards, I did email marketing. I was like, all the things. And uh, all the things, marketing and
0: graphic design. When was this? Let's dig into your business story, your journey a little bit. So, when was that?
1: So that was 2015, 2016. Okay. Um, Right. I started my business kind of in a fluke sort of way. So I was working a nine to five, my first job out of college. It was an advertising agency here in Nashville. Was super, super excited about it. I felt as though I wanted the corporate life. Graduating college, I studied digital media, which was like a combo of computer science, graphic design, and marketing. So it was like a lot of different things I super loved. And I went into the workforce being like, I really want to work for someone else, even though I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I quit that job after four months, I just hated it. And it really was just <laughs> like, I feel so blessed that I hated my first job because I don't think I would have started my business had I ended up in like mm. some super cool, great first job, the job itself. I like what I was doing, but I did not like working for someone else. And I did not like the work culture there. And I put in my notice thinking like, I'm going to find another job, not thinking I'm going to start a business, but I ended up after looking at our company handbook, I'm like, I got 30 days. That's what it said. But I left that day without a job. And so I had to like get really scrappy and I had already been freelancing some, but I started taking on more clients, took on some retainer clients specifically all while waiting for another job. And I applied all the places and did not get anyone riding me back and ultimately started my business.
0: Doesn't it beautiful that out of some of our like unintended moments where like, this is not what I thought it was at all. And then you find yourself in the most aligned space. Yeah. You're like, I'm not even supposed to be working in corporate. I thought that's what I wanted. And I found out I hate my job and I need to find another. And actually, no, I'm just going to be a business owner. Like I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I love that it happened to me at the right time. Cause I was at that point 22 and I definitely did not feel like I'm ready to be a business owner. I feel like I didn't know enough, didn't have enough experience under my belt. I had a lot of imposter syndrome going on, but I'm so glad I started it when I did, which I, Aaron, I know you started doing stuff too, like younger. And it's like, that is something that can both feel hard being the youngest person in the room, but also is really empowering. And when you embrace it and let yourself like, it's okay to be Young in situations, okay, to still be learning and that you can do stuff and people aren't as concerned about your age as you might think they are, all that.
0: I just love that you're highlighting that stuff because I think we can all relate to feeling like an imposter or wherever we find ourselves in our business journey, that there's those places where we're like, I don't know if I can do this or if, you know, people will take me seriously in their room. And I know that we both felt that way at times and I still do at times, you know? So I oh. love that you're just being honest about that part of your journey.
1: Yeah. So when I started, I was doing, like I said, all the different things. I was truly being like Jane of all trades, which I actually think worked well. A lot of business owners say start out super, super niche. I think it's okay to start out doing more. And then you need to deliberately delete things that aren't working, things you don't like doing, services that don't make sense. So I slowly took that from a lot of different things to branding, website design was what I ended up feeling like I'm the best at. I like doing the most out of the different things. And at the time, I kept a lot of retainer clients. So I had probably like 10 different companies. I was running their social media. I kept some of those while building the branding and website side of my business. And so I did services exclusively for quite a few years, probably three or four years mainly. And then I started selling show website templates and launched my first four the end of 2019, I think. And to bring back to what you originally were asking about passive income, that's when I started having that experience of passive income, which felt so crazy and so amazing. I still remember the first time I made a sale while traveling and while sleeping. And at the time I had text message alerts. Now I get them through Slack, but I had a text alerts where like every time I made a sale, I got a text message and I remember waking up to a sale having come in overnight while I was traveling and visiting my in-laws in Atlanta. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool that someone has purchased from me. They got their website template delivered. They got all the Things they needed to go with that. And I'd have to like lift a finger because the work was already done. So that was like my first foray into passive income. And since then, I've done other things like my course, Booked Out Designer, which again, be a passive income. We could go all into this, Erin. And I'm sure you can relate to this, but like it's not really passive. You're doing the work. I like to call it scalable, ideally, when I'm able to have Ooh, the opportunity I like that. to.
0: Scalable income.
1: Yeah, that's so much more accurate because in reality, what at least for like those two examples, and some stuff really is truly passive. But for those two examples, I mean, I spent, over a hundred hours if not way more than that making my course and then I continue to launch it. I continue to show up for students every single week. I continue to do coaching calls. You have to continue updating it, I continue marketing it constantly. So it's not really passive, but it's scalable because you're making it once and continue to update it and whatnot, but you can sell it to as many people who are willing to buy it. So like with my templates, I've sold over a thousand templates at this point. Um and yes. yeah, yes. which is crazy and so so That's fun. Amazing. Yeah. So that's cool. And it's like all of those templates, you know, I made them once, but then you can keep selling them and you know, there's updates, there's customer support and all that, but it is super scalable. So those are my main two things in my business. Now, another way I make money is through affiliate income, which we can totally talk about if you want to Aaron, but that has been huge for me as a super kind of behind the scenes. Cause there's a lot of products I'm naturally talking about as a business owner, as a podcaster that are things that I just like use and love where I can naturally insert that into my podcast content, my Instagram content, blog posts that then rank on Google. And that actually does feel more like passive income than scalable. Yeah. The I affiliate mean, stuff.
0: Okay. I just want to dig into some of this because I just feel like your story brings up so many things. Well, first of all, I think I loved how you highlighted the journey and how it wasn't until four years into your business that you created quote unquote passive income. Let's call it more like scalable income. I love that terminology and I think that's important because I think some of us right away we come into and there's so much sexy marketing around like travel the world and make $300,000 in your sleep. And it's like, okay, that is not real. Okay. It's just really not for the majority of us and the majority of people consuming that are listening to the show. Like that's just not the reality because there are things like what you said, like, You need to figure out your niche. You need to figure out what your people actually need. And you can't just hypothesize that through market research and creating avatars. That's all stuff I do and I encourage. But then you've got to actually do the work with the people to get really sharp on it. And then the whole audience build. Okay, so like you could build a course in a year or in a month or whatever, but who's going to buy it? You know, and I can even remember back in the day when I built this elaborate quiz opt-in thing and it was built and it was like it's here and I was like why isn't anybody signing up I'm like oh my gosh I didn't tell anybody about it I just finished making it you know and so can you talk a little bit more about that and I love how you're like actually it's great to play it's great to not start out niche how long did you take to to play and then just talk a little bit more about maybe this idea of waiting on creating passive revenue and why that's important.
1: Yeah. So, okay. One thing I'll share that I love sharing this mistake I make, cause I think other people can learn from it, but I actually tried to move more towards passive scalable income early in my business. And I had a similar experience there to what you just said of building something and being like, why is anyone buying? It's like, cause no one wanted this for me. I didn't market it. So literally I want to say, I wish I had the exact dates. I could find it through like scrolling back through my Instagram or something, but I tried to launch pre-made brands, which is debatable if anyone wants pre-made brands. It's definitely, was it more of a thing back then? There's plenty of designers who still sell it. Good for you. If you are someone who does that listening. but I saw some other designers doing this and I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. It's something I could do. My audience would love that. Yay. And so I spent a lot of time. I spent money as well. Not a lot of money, but some money, but mainly time that I could have been booking one-on-one clients, building out four different pre-made brands. And the idea was that it's like a brand in a box. You go to my website, you buy the brand, and then I'm still having to do the work of putting your business name and customizing and stuff. So it was not even close to passive really, or scalable at the same time, but it was, it was more one-to-many approach than what complete one-on-one was. And so I did not even talk about how I was working on it just out of the blue, finished it launched it. I didn't have an email list at the time. I also did not have social media for my business. I was still just operating from my personal Instagram account, but that was like really personal content at the time. Instagram was also just a lot different then, but I launched it, launched it quote unquote, whatever that means. And in that case, (laughs) I wasn't really doing that much and no one bought anything. And eventually I sold two, both to past one-on-one customers. So not even to someone who like was new, it was just like, these people had like, you know, of course they launched, they need like a secondary logo. So they bought it. But eventually I just took it off my website, but I feel like that experience really set me up well for when I did ultimately launch templates to know, first of all, like that people need to want it from me, not just want it to where like some designer somewhere else seems like she might be selling it, but want it for me. And I needed to like be ready to market it and have my business at a point where it was ready. And at that point in reality, what I was doing was actually just kind of competing with my one-on-one services because the price point was kind of similar. So in reality, I was kind of more so than anything pushing people towards one-on-one because it was like, you get a pre-made brand for, I don't remember what it was, like $400, let's say, or you could work one-on-one with me for like $1,000, which I think was higher than that, but still, they were kind of too close. It just didn't make sense. So I learned a lot through that. And when I did ultimately launch my templates, the demand was there because I got into a point with one-on-one services where I was really booked out pretty far in advance. And I was also charging high price points where I'm like, I don't really know that I want to charge much more than this. Like I feel good about this number. So I'm like raising my prices more wasn't necessarily an option. I was running out of time to do the projects. So it was like, I could add on associate designers or scale through product like productizing a service. And when I looked at my business and at that point, I was like kind of scared of having a team. Now I do have a team in my business, but that point I was like, I'm so scared of being a team. I want to be independent and alone and just work solo. So my natural decision was towards templates. And I'm so glad I made that decision because I think that I like the model of products more than I would have liked an agency model where I'm like, the head creative and we have all these designers. I think that's what works well with my brain and personality. But when I first launched my template shop, I immediately sold plenty of templates. There was a demand there from people who liked my style, but didn't want to do a full custom site, or were going to have to wait too long to work with me and all that kind of thing.
0: This is so fun to talk about this and to hear your journey and to like see the evolution. Thanks for your transparency around that. You got to this place where you had like maxed out your pricing, like you felt like it wasn't an integrity to go higher and you had like a full book of clients. So if somebody's listening like and they're trying to figure out, is it time for me, like is my business ready? Can I move to a more scalable or passive offering? like what's your advice for them as they're kind of thinking through that?
1: Okay. So one thing I, I came up with and Aaron heard this at the creative educator conference, cause I talked about this, but I made up this acronym. The acronym is dream, which I kind of had to like move some of the letters to make it do dream, but dream, like what a great word for this acronym. Right. But I would say, I you it. know, if your business is ready for passive income, when you have three of the five of these things set up. So keep in mind, every business is different. You don't necessarily need to have all five, but you can kind of know, Hey, your business is probably set up well to transition from services when three or five of these are met. So the first one is D, which stands for desire. And that means you have people who are telling you that they want this thing from you, whatever this next scalable offer is. And you also want it for yourself. So people telling you, they want it. You feeling as though you want it. A lot of people listening to this might already be like, okay, yeah, I'm meeting that on like I want it, but then making sure your audience wants it. Cause that's huge too. If you are trying to make something that no one wants to buy from you, it's probably not going to sell. Okay. Can you
0: share like, how did that appear for you in your business at that time? So you had the desire yeah. and how did you know that your audit, did you do email like surveying? Did you just have organic conversations that just, how did you know that your audience desired this?
1: Yeah. So I was getting... Requests from people of like, hey, have you ever thought about making templates? At that point in my business, I had a little bit of an Instagram audience, and by that I mean like maybe three thousand followers or something. Like I was starting to build there. I also had an email list I was building, and I did some polls on Instagram, just using like polls feature of like, hey, would you be interested in this? Don't trust that too much though, because people marking yeah, I'd buy that from you doesn't really mean anything until they put their money there, right? So <laughs> I wouldn't take I would take that with a grain of salt. But I do a thing I do every year, an end of year survey. I like to use type form for it because it allows you to do branch chain logic on your questions where you can kind of like ask someone, do you listen to my podcast? And if they say, yes, you ask them questions about what they want in the podcast. If They say, no, you skip. There's a lot you can do like that on it to really make it custom mm, I love that. Yeah, so I, I've done that every year. I change up the questions every year, depending on like what I'm working on in my business. But I definitely did a survey where I was asking people about templates from me and getting granular on like, what kind of design styles would you want? What industry are you in? You're saying you want one. Okay. What industry, what price point? So definitely surveying and talking with people. And You can also just kind of look at your business and feel like you're at a point where it's ready to scale to more stuff because the demand is there. And when you feel like you can't keep up with it, that can kind of tell you too, that maybe people are wanting that.
0: Love it. Okay dream. So the R what's next?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So R is for results and that would be, you have real life results in the thing you're teaching. If it's like a course or in doing the thing, if it's a productized service, either for yourself or for clients. So in the nature of like a course, um, like let's say you're a photographer and you want to teach other wedding photographers, you have then like to be ready for this type of income you have been able to get results in your own photography business that then you can teach other people. If you're still struggling as a wedding photographer, it probably isn't the right time to teach other wedding photographers. Right. For me, the results. So since I was not teaching people how to like, well, actually I do teach people how to make a website technically, but that wasn't really what it was It's productized service. So that would be that I've had results for my clients in creating successful websites that convert are strategic and work well. Um, So basically like you've had success in it.
0: Absolutely. Love that.
1: Yeah. And then E is for email list. And I do think email list is like the thing to focus on here not just Instagram, not just TikTok, but actually having an email list that you're actively building with people who fit this audience. So even if like, you're just starting on it, but but actively building that email list and something to differentiate here too. going back to that photography example, if you're a wedding photographer and you have an email list, your email list might primarily be brides who are like interested in working with you. Now you need to build an email list of other photographers, you know, so it's like making sure that you're building towards that email list of people who would actually buy this thing from you.
0: Okay. So let's pause on email list just for a minute. And I know like a lot of people know I needed to build an email list. Like what were you doing and are you doing to keep building your email list that seems like it's working? And how many email subscribers did you have at that time? How did you know that they would buy from you? Was that looking at click rate, open rate, like kind of what were some indicators there around your email list?
1: Yeah. So something I did building my email list the people, this is often... Maybe counter to the norm advice. I started building my email list before I was ready to ever email anyone. So back when I was like just doing one on one services that's a time when a lot of people don't try to build an email list because it's like, it doesn't feel necessary if you're not selling products and courses and things. So I knew long-term, I wanted to get more into that realm. And I also was blogging regularly. And so I was like, there were plenty of blog posts I'd write where I'm like, "Oh, there's this content upgrade idea. Like this would be great to have a checklist or a PDF or something. So I was actually signed up at the time with MailerLite, which was free, pretty easy to use. And I put opt-ins on blog posts literally where they would opt in for it. They'd get the freebie. They got two emails from me, just like welcoming them, presenting my services. And then I never emailed them again for like over a year. (laughs) So I though (laughs) built up that way. I want to say about a thousand email subscribers just through that method. And then of course I had to re-engage them. Right. So once I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start emailing consistently. I want to like do the email list thing. I emailed all those people. I wrote up a good, like, Hey, you haven't heard from me. Here's who I am. Do you still want to stay in the list? Here's a way to opt out if you don't. So I re-engaged, but most of them stayed on and like we're good subscribers after that. So I would say with email, lists, start before you're ready by doing something like that. Just creating a freebie that you can encourage people to go to create a really simple welcome sequence. That's just one or two emails and then be okay not emailing. I think too many people don't start email marketing because they think they have to email every single week and you don't. So that's what I would say to do starting out. Now I still don't email every single week. I have funnels. So I actually have a nurture funnel that is over 50 weeks of emails that people get put into. Uh, And I turn it on and off around launches. And so when I'm doing promotions or when I do have something I want to just share out to my list, I will turn that off and then straight email people. And and yeah. So that's what I do now. And my email list now, it's so funny. If you'd asked me a week ago, I would have told you it's like 16,000 people on my email list. I cleared out over half of them. I did a big clear out. I hadn't done that in a while. So a lot of people don't clear out that email list often enough. I was one of those people and I was seeing this Big pretty number, and kind of was like, how many people are cold subscribers? So I cleared out to about like nine thousand people now. But now my open rates are like over fifty percent, which is almost like yeah, too good. Amazing!
0: I know. I'm like, I probably I mean, have like industry standard have. is like thirty, you know, thirty something. Yeah, which mine percent, was around you
1: know? twenty to thirty when it was at that sixteen thousand. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, when I looked through because I use ConvertKit, and they were telling me like these are who are cold. When I clicked on a lot of those accounts, I'm like, yeah, like this is a bouncing email address, like they are not getting it, or this person's on here multiple times. So uh, yeah, I, I've cleared out more people than I maybe needed to, but now my overheads are really high, which feels yeah. Again, that I, I don't know if you so need was name nice. for that amount. That's kind of my email journey, and what I would have. I love hearing that. So. I love that.
0: Um, and I love how you like take the pressure off of emailing every week. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. and some people okay, it works so, to do it that way, but totally can do however it works for you.
0: It, it is also helpful for people like if you don't have a team, you're producing, you're like servicing or paying clients. And that's a whole nother thing to like be creating original content, being emailing every week. Like if you don't have a team, that's a lot and you don't get paid for the emails until you actually sell something. So I love how you sort of give people an out. And sometimes when I'm working with clients and they're just getting started with email, I'm like, okay, once a month, don't create a goal that's so such a huge shift in your habit that you're not going to be able to sustain it. Yes.
1: Yeah. And with that too, it's like, Something I struggled with a lot when I was very inconsistent with emailing, but one thing to email is I'd write this really great email. Or if you work with a I have a copyright I've worked with for plenty of emails. You write this awesome email, you send it out. And then, you know, over the next week, your list grows by like say a hundred people. That's amazing. Now they don't ever get to see that great email you wrote. So that's where like the kind of nurture funnel idea can be really helpful. Mm. You just have to make it evergreen. So you don't want to speak to like specific things happening. If you're promoting, say a podcast episode, which I do that in mine, I don't say like this episode that aired this week, it's instead of promoting an older one and you need to update it frequently, but that way, like all those great emails you write, everyone gets to see you could work with a copywriter on them, do that big investment, but then it gets to be used longer term. So that's what's worked well for me. and again, I know every business is different and I might even in different seasons email like every single week. Um, you should have the that's something that's an option.
0: I love it. This is so yeah. helpful. Thank you so much. okay, what's the A?
1: Yeah. So A is audience. And the other way, if I wasn't trying to make the acronym dream, a could also be content. So basically you're creating valuable content around this topic for the audience that you're wanting to sell to. And you are therefore attracting these people to your business. So again, that might be where if you're pivoting from services to something like a course, something like a productized service, like templates, something even like group coaching, you have to create different content. That relates like you are might be talking to different audience. For me, when I started making my course book designer, which literally is a course for designers and how to do a design business, that's a completely different audience than my templates are. It's literally the opposite audience, right? Like I have two completely separate audience. Designers don't need templates. The templates are not for designers, so it's like just you know it, it all. People who have templates don't need the course at all. Just two separate people. So you have to start creating content for that audience to sell to.
0: And I noticed, like one thing that you said early on, it's like we both were sharing, like I made this amazing opt-in and nobody came, and you made this whole product, and and you talked about like we both in that instance weren't even sharing about it. Like we weren't dripping out content. And I think that's a huge part of like producing valuable content, but also like show the behind the scenes, talk about I mean, That's all you can talk about it before it's even here to build like interest and excitement to create a wait list or to do those types of things so that people are more eager to buy than you're waiting until the thing's already done. And now you're promoting it. Like you can do like, right. Would you, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that's a mistake, especially when you're making something like that's a big thing, like a course, for example, it's like you want to make sure the energy is there, you can bring your audience along on the journey of creating it, which allows for great content. And in general, I think people need to figure out what type of content medium they vibe most with. It might be blogging. It might be podcasting. It might be YouTube. It might just be that all your contents on social. Like, I think that's okay too. You have to figure out what works for you and your own personality. For me, like I love podcasting as a medium. And so that's like my top of funnel. And then from the podcast content, I'm creating content that relates to that for Instagram. I'm also creating content, the same thing on my blog. Um, my email list is getting content that is from the podcast. So it's like, that's my like top level piece of content, but you can do variety of other things. And you can also start a lot simpler, like by just creating really valuable content, say on Instagram, but yeah, creating content that really is specifically speaking to that audience. And yeah, not going out of left field of just all of a sudden trying to sell them something where you haven't given them anything for free yet to have as a win.
0: Yeah. They've got to get those wins. They've got to build like no trust factor with you. All those things. All right. M our final letter.
1: Yeah. So M is for you're close to maxed out or have maxed out the one-on-one version of this offer, either with your time or with your prices. So that could mean, you know, my example for my own business, I was maxed out both within like, I don't have time for more clients. And I don't want to price this higher. That applies for me to a productized service. But maybe it's you and you're like a coach and you're wanting to do group coaching instead of one-on-one and you're looking at your business and you're like, I don't have time for any more one-on-one clients, but the demand is there. Or I don't want to charge more than this hourly rate. And there are people that can't afford that. And I want to reach them too. That's kind of what it looks like. And I would say, you want to kind of work towards the switch before you get to that maxed out version. Cause then that's going to lead to burnout. If you're just like, I literally can't take on anymore. Um, that can lead to burnout. So kind of evaluating this before you get there. So yeah, that's M. I love it. And I think it's
0: so helpful too. Something I just want to highlight from this in the maxed out part that you mentioned earlier in your story is that you began to build other things as you kept other things. So you like had retainer clients still while you were starting in social media, while you were starting to niche into, I know I want to do like the website design and stuff like that. And so I think that's something too is like know that it overlaps. And that's been like my story too. It was like I was doing photography and while was doing photography also started in real estate and then photography kept me and then I could quit my job and then I could do the next thing and like then I did both and then that, that one fell off you know what I mean so I think that's a really helpful thing too is like You highlighting, don't wait until you're maxed out. You'll have signs that you know, like, okay, I'm starting to have a wait list. I'm starting to really push the high end of my industry for pricing. Like, I'm personally feeling just energetically maxed out until like you can start to build and do other things while you still keep that thing going so that it can be like a smoother transition.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like you're saying, you can kind of be doing multiple things at once. I was doing one-on-one client work. I mean, I still do one-on-one client work. So it's like, you can kind of do both and doing that. Even if you do something that is in the education space specifically, I would say keeping some one-on-one long-term is going to make you a better educator. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And you can use one thing to build up another business. I love that.
0: Okay. This was such a helpful acronym to think through, like, is your business ready for a scalable offer. And you said D is desire, R is results, E is email list. We got into really getting to chat about email lists, which was a fun, A is audience and or context and M is being maxed out. So that was such a helpful way for us to three of five of those need to be kind of happening in order for us to decide we're ready to create something that is scalable, not necessarily passive. And I know that you mentioned earlier, affiliate is another way that you make some money and maybe a lot of money. And that is more passive. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about affiliate? How did you get into that? How does it look like? What are the rules of being an affiliate? Like, What does that yeah. look like behind the scenes?
1: Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I know you like numbers, Aaron, but I've, my business has done multiple six figures in just affiliate income. And like some of those I wish I had actual numbers, but I think last year was over a hundred thousand just to income. So it's like, that's, okay, that's super helpful to know. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot of opportunity there with it to even say that. And, and you have a
0: Instagram of like 13,000. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Somewhere around that, I think.
0: And yeah. And then obviously email list of like, you know, it was like 16,000. Cause I know that's part of yeah. affiliate right? is the size of your audience.
1: Yes. Yeah. That definitely helps. But even like a lot of affiliate income can also be made through blogging well, and then people finding your blog through search engines, mm. whether that be you know, YouTube's a search engine, Google, Pinterest, all of those different places, be able to rank for different searches can help a lot there. But yeah, I would say affiliate income, you can make it directly like I'm saying, where it's like you're literally getting payments from these companies for promoting them. There's also another way of making affiliate income where a lot of companies, like as business owners, you might be using some software that you use frequently and they have a referral program where you're going to get free months of their subscription by referring them. So that's another way to like inadvertently make money because you're deleting that bill by being an affiliate. But tips for if you want to make good money as an affiliate is first of all, like sign up for all of the things you're using that you might promote, like let the days be gone of someone being like, you know, for me, what do you use for your website builder? I me mean, just being like, show it. And then that's it. Like you need to be able to send them a link that's going to allow you to get kicked back for that referral. And a way I do this that makes it where you don't have to remember the link. Cause I think that's the hard part, right? Like you're chatting with a friend or you're in your DM sending someone, you don't know the link cause these affiliate links companies give you are long and, you know, you're not going to obviously like keep that remembered in your head. So show it on the blog side uses WordPress. So there's a plugin called pretty links, totally free to use where you can make any link at your own domain name. So for me, just as an example, let me think of a good one. Elizabeth McCravey.com slash Thrivecart is one. If you guys want to see what this looks like. If you type that in, it redirects to Thrivecart's website, With my affiliate stuff all applied, so I don't have to remember whatever that long link is. All I have to remember is that any affiliate I'm an affiliate of, it's slash that affiliate name, and then that's going to lead to the page. So then when I'm DMing with someone, I just know that that's what I type in, and it's simple as that. So making those, if you don't have access to pretty links, another great option would be to use Bitly or one of those like short. Mm -hmm. Link creators, that sort of thing would get you the same result, but make those kind of links so you don't have to remember them. And another, like, on top of that hack, I would share, Aaron, you might already do this and maybe listeners do as well, but like, there's a way on our, a lot of us are using Apple for everything, right? So, between your MacBook, your phone, all of it, it's the shortcuts, keyboards, settings. But you know, you can type in that, like, you know, OMW turns it into on my way, right? Like, that's a common. Thing that we might all be using. You can use this for your website too. So for me, if I'm on my laptop, on my iPad, on my phone, I type in EMC and it completely changes out to HTTP colon slash slash com slash. So I just type in EMC, press enter redirects to that. And then I can type in thrive and I have my link. So it's like seconds. So do that. That's Create amazing. That short link. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so is your affiliate money that you've made in the past you know, last year, the hundred thousand, is it mostly through these software companies? You're like, okay, I'm suggesting you go use show it. And then I sign up for show it, and you get a hundred dollars. Cause I signed up for show it. Is that, or are you actually doing like launches with other like entrepreneurs and then you get kicked back for their course? Like, is there mm-hmm. other, are you doing actual formal launches or for the softwares or is it mostly just these links we're sending to people?
1: Yeah. So that, so there's, you know, affiliate and there's like joint venture stuff. And I'm trying to think I've done any joint venture. So I don't think I have, I'm actually about to be doing something like that with a friend with her business. I recently did a summit which is that like kind of more joint venture style. But for me mostly it is software companies. I also use Like to Know, which is also called reward style. That's more of like an influencer type platform. If you follow any big bloggers, that's all they're making all of their money, like fashion bloggers through that, that software where they're, you know, show you their outfit. They're like, click here to buy it. So I make a little bit of money that way. And when I say a little bit, I mean like probably a thousand dollars a year from that. And then that's me linking to like literally just, you know, if I'm linking like a shirt or something, I'm using that. But no, for me, mostly it is different software companies like Dubsado, ConvertKit, Flowdesk, like all these different ones that I'm referring out naturally because my audience is people who are building websites, right? And it's like, Hey, I need my website. Now, what other tools do I need to go with it? And I'm recommending these other tools that work with your website.
0: And are there ways that you're doing that in a more automated way? Like, for example, when somebody purchases a template, you're like, here are other softwares that you might consider. And there's like a PDF guide with your links to affiliates. Or is it all through like DMs of people reaching out? Or do you have some automation around this?
1: Yeah, it's definitely automated. And that is why I say earlier that I feel like affiliate income is a truly passive-ish source of income because you don't have to necessarily... Keep redoing stuff with it. So, I am doing the DMing, but also like within my podcast, I mean, I'm regularly linking in the show notes. Like, I say, talk about some software, I link in the show notes for it, and then people are using that link and that episode's evergreen, right? So, I could have recorded an episode three years ago and people are still going back and listening to it. I also rank on Google for a ton of coupon code searches for different. Softwares, so that's people organically finding me who have no idea who I am, and then are getting it that way. But yeah, your question though of like, are people buying from me, and then I'm saying I recommend these? So I have a course that people get when they purchase a template from me that teaches you how to do your template, like how to set it up, how to DIY it, and there is a recommended resource like lesson within it that is like, hey, you know, here's a auto link, here's a Honeybook link, like all of that right there. That's all giving them a discount, then also giving me kickback. So I do, I do it all the places. <laughs> you are
0: so brilliant. And you are a woman who has mastered. How do I bring more money in? How do I do it through multiple streams? You're in real estate, you're affiliate, you're in passive. you're in one-on-one, like you are killing it. And thank you so much for just being so transparent around your journey and giving us such practical tips in how we can start to create more money into our worlds through scalable offers through affiliate. This has been such an amazing conversation. You're awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been fun. Okay. Are you good to do some rapid fire questions as we wrap up? Okay, great. All right, Elizabeth, what was your earliest memory around money and how has that impacted you?
1: Yeah. So my mind went to a bad memory, which I don't know if that's how most people function when we think about like an early memory around something. But um, for me growing up, money was really tight and not necessarily well managed. So I feel like an early memory for me would be like not being able to pay bills, like that being a conversation in our house. Um, We lost our house to foreclosure when I was pretty young and my parents both filed for bankruptcy after they got divorced. So it was like, there was a lot of like, Yeah. yeah, so that we had a lot of, financial like turmoil i would say like in my younger years and so the memory would be like feeling like there's not enough money feeling scared and worried about like are we going to be okay financially and my parents have both said that like i was probably let into some conversations as a kid that i shouldn't have been um how that impacts me now i would say I am good at budgeting and planning financially as an adult, which is not something I was necessarily taught how to do, but had to like learn and figure out. And Mm -hmm. I also can be known to sit on too big of an emergency fund because I'm like afraid. So that would be like the next Mm. one, but how that plays out. Yeah. That'd be an early memory.
0: Hey, I know people are going to be able to relate to that. What's a money moment that you're most proud of?
1: So when my husband and I got married, we started our married life young and with a good amount of soon loan debt, no savings, not really much family financial support either. And I quickly quit my job after I didn't say that earlier, but when I quit my job four months in, I'd also been, I'd been married about like three months. So it was like very early in marriage kind of going into entrepreneurship. So a lot of like hard financial times, you could say we were so scrappy. So that's something I'm proud of is just looking back. And I know Aaron, you guys are scrappy too. So you can relate to that scrappy life, but we lived in a cheaper apartment than most of our friends. We probably could have like made it into a nicer apartment, but we lived in like Honestly, the cheapest one in our area is where we were living. It was still safe and nice and stuff, but it was like the lowest cost option. We budgeted really intensely and we paid down our student loan debt before we were like buying a really fancy house for ourselves or going on a big vacation or upgrading to a nicer apartment. Um, And we also, during that time, we're still tithing and giving away money to charities, which I feel proud of because that was trusting God a lot in a time when mm-hmm. it can feel hard to because money did feel tight. And you can kind of feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna make this month. So I gotta hold on to all of it. So being open handed during that time still.
0: I love that. Leading with generosity, even when it's like tight. Yeah. Love that. If I were to give you a hundred thousand dollars right now, what would
1: you do with it? I love this question. <laughs> I seriously was like, what would I do, Aaron? I have so many ideas now. When are you going to send this to me? Yeah, no. um, But yeah, so I think honestly what I would do is invest in real estate. Um, I love real estate investing just like Aaron does. And I think to get more specific, what I would like to do would be either a deal for a house in Seaside, Florida or in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which are both really hot real estate markets. Gatlinburg, especially is a really thriving market among people who live in Tennessee as like a great place to do investment, like vacation homes. So I think I would want to buy a house, either of those places that would be a vacation rental that we could go to, but then also rent out and do the whole property manager thing, like go big where we're not dealing with it. Um, but someone there locally managing. I
0: love it. What part of Florida, what part of Florida did you say?
1: Seaside, Florida. Have you ever been there? Uh-uh. Oh, it's nice. It's like 30A area. If you've heard people use that term, like that kind of Florida panhandle.
0: Ooh, I just I need to look this up.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. That's where I love people Florida. in Tennessee go. It's driving. Oh yeah, yeah, it's in driving distance to me. Like like six hours ish to get there. So it's like okay, yeah. People in Nashville really love that area.
0: Oh, well,
1: yeah.
0: What's the hardest lesson you've had to learn
1: around money? That I don't know that I'll ever understand tax stuff, honestly, like taxes stress me out and having the right people in the right seat to help me with that side mm-hmm. of business. I've made a lot of mistakes in trying to do it right, but doing it poorly when I'm trying to do it all myself. So it's confusing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like kind of accepting that maybe I'm not going to be able to get a complete handle on that. So just having help there.
0: Hey, you've learned how to like support yourself in that. I love that. If you're getting real bougie, what do you splurge on?
1: Okay. So in day-to-day life, Aaron, have you read anything by Remit Sethi? Mm-mm. He's like, um, I will teach you to be rich. It's his book. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Ooh, um, no. He teaches, he's awesome. He teaches the concept of like your rich life of what that is to you. Like, what does it mean? What would be the little things you do that like, if I had this much money, I would do it and trying to like do those things now. So my version of that would be ordering Starbucks whenever I want, like just getting whatever latte I want, whenever I want, which I pretty much do that. And also not like at restaurants, I love eating out. So restaurants, not letting a $2 difference on a cocktail or a $2 difference on an entree, make the decision, which I grew up doing that where I'm like, man, that drinks $1 more. I'm not going to get it, you know, that kind of mindset. So that would be like, just day-to-day splurges and then really bougie I love good skincare and like just buying clothes and stuff like that
0: so fun I love that question because it just like it reveals a whole cool side of people and like gives people permission to be bougie and to desire that so this has been an incredible conversation Elizabeth. where can people find you I know you've mentioned your website but like your podcast your website anything that you want to make sure that they get in their hands just we just mentioned that and we'll make sure to plug that in the show notes
1: Yeah. So, okay. Breakthrough brand podcast is the name of my show. If you search that there's over 200 episodes, a lot of them are me talking about some finance stuff on there of like what I've done in my business and share really openly about what's worked. There's stuff about affiliate income, about building passive income, website strategies, just what I'm learning as a business owner. My website templates are at elizabethmccravey.com as well as um, my course. And then I'm on Instagram at elizabethmccravey.com.
0: Okay. You guys, I know that everyone listening is like totally falling in love with you and is so grateful. Be sure to go listen to her show. You'll get even more goodness. I think like podcast listeners here are going to listen everywhere and they should go to your show. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you. This was so
0: fun. Are you a creative entrepreneur looking for next level support when it comes to your money mindset and management? It's time to get on top of your numbers once and for all. Do you wanna upgrade your lifestyle, make a bigger impact in the world, or gain more time back into your day? Your big dreams are all coming back to one thing, money. So I've developed a secret sauce money matrix formula to combine the power of an abundance mindset with money management tools, specifically for creative entrepreneurs like you. Stop hiding from your numbers and start getting strategic. Head to www.erinbridgeman.com to learn everything you need to know about my coaching programs. It's time to completely transform and change the way you view and manage money so you can show up like the wealthy woman you are meant to be. Apply to work with me one-on-one at www.erinbridgeman.com.